Our Father, we ask that you would speak through your word. We believe when your word is proclaimed, it's, it's you speaking to us. And apart from you, my words are empty. They just sort of fizzle out off my lips. But with your power, uh, they have weight and gravitas. And we ask that you would infuse them with that, that you would give them that, that you would apply them to our hearts so that we might be changed. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's a phrase that we hear often, and it's this. You're either, you're either with us or you're against us. You're either with us or you're against us. Following 9-11, you may recall uh, President Bush made that uh, claim a lot. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either with us, you're, you're, you're for freedom and democracy and against terrorism, or you're against us. Join us. That was the call. I want to suggest to you that we often pose that question, whether it even kind of reaches our consciousness or not. We pose that question to God in the form of a question. God, are you with me? Are you with us? Or are you against us? Because if you're the author of of, of creation and the world and you have all of this power... If you're not with me, it sure feels like you're against me, that you're opposed, that my life is difficult because you don't don't care. Are you with me? Are you with us? Paul Miller has written a a wonderful book uh, on prayer. And in that book, A Praying Life, he he talks about going camping. He opens uh, the whole book with the story of him camping with his family, with his children, in uh, the mountains of Pennsylvania, and his daughter is um, upset just outside their minivan. They're heading towards the campsite, and she's, she's upset. She's crying, and he walks over to see what's wrong. His 14-year-old daughter, Ashley is her name, and she says, I lost my contact lens, and he said, well, let's, let's pray. Let's pray that God would help us find it, and she bursts into tears. What good is prayer going to do? I've been praying for Kim for years, and she still hasn't spoken. And Kim was Ashley's uh, younger sister who struggled with severe autism and was unable to speak. And, and Paul Miller says, I, I, didn't even, I didn't realize that Ashley had been praying, and, and, and she's upset. And you know, he's dealing with the situation, and he says this regarding this whole dilemma as a dad trying to console his daughter, pray, and help her find the contact lens. He said, I needed help in that moment when Ashley burst into tears in front of our minivan. I was frozen, caught between her doubts and my own. I had no idea that she had been praying for Kim to speak. And what made Ashley's tears so disturbing was that she was right. God had not answered her prayers. Kim was still mute. I was fearful for my daughter's faith and for my own. I didn't know what to do. Would I make the problem worse by praying? If we prayed and we couldn't find the contact lens, it would just confirm Ashley's growing unbelief. Already Jill, and Jill is Paul's wife, the mom, Jill and I were beginning to lose heart. Her childhood faith in God was being replaced by faith in boys. Ashley was cute, warm, outgoing, 
And we were having trouble keeping track of all of Ashley's boyfriends. Jill and I needed help. I had little confidence God would do anything, but I prayed silently in that moment. Father, this would be a really good time to come through. You've got to hear this prayer for the sake of Ashley. Help us find this contact lens. When I finished, we bent down to look through the dirt and the twigs, and there, sitting on a leaf, was the missing lens. Prayer made a difference after all. Let me suggest to you that Ashley's question in that moment was this. God, are you with me? Or are you against me? Are you really with me? Are you really on my side? Was the question that Ashley, that that was the question that her heart was asking. God, are you with me? Now, I know if, if I ask that question, you know, the, the Sunday school answer is, of course God is with us. He's with us all the time. Uh, but functionally, at a heart level, do you, do you live with that truth? Mobilizing you. Operationalizing you. That's the question. And I'm afraid many of us have difficulty doing that. Well, the Bible gives a resounding yes to the question that we are, and the New Testament's even clearer, right? We are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, dwells within you individually, but even corporately. King's Cross Church right here is the temple of the living God, that God's Spirit dwells within us is with us. Uh, Richard Lovelace says that that truth, that God is with us, God's Spirit dwells within you, is a primary element of spiritual renewal. If you want to experience Christian transformation and growth and spiritual renewal, that's one of the ingredients of knowing that God's Spirit is in you, operating within you, empowering you. My youth pastor used to say, if you take a teaspoon of arsenic, you'll die. <laughs> he said, if, if you, but, but if, if the Spirit of God, the creator of the universe, has taken up residence inside of you, there's got to be an impact to that. There's got to be uh, tangible fruits of that reality working within you. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just mean that we we don't smoke. (laughs) That's kind of that that was the application of growing up. Your temple of the Holy Spirit, don't smoke. Now that's an application that's way down the line of that truth. Right? It's empowering. God is with us. And here in this passage, I want to focus on what Abimelech says to Abraham there in the first verse, verse 22. Abimelech says, God is with you in all you do. A pagan king approaches Abraham and says, God's with you in all that you do. Now, if we just looked at an isolated episode in the life of Abraham, it might be hard to see that. If we see Abraham in Egypt, it might be hard to see that. But as God has been weaving this story in the life of Abraham, it's it's very evident that God is with Abraham in all that he does. That God is weaving a story. 
And to the degree that we wonder whether God is really with us, in us, living in us and dwelling in us, I think it may be a fruit of our busyness in our hurried pace where we never sort of step back and think about our lives as a whole to actually see the story that God is is weaving over the decades. Do you do that? It's true. God is with us. And so we're going to focus on that. God is with you in all that you do, Abimelech says of Abraham. And what that does, we're going, to, we're going to see in this passage, is that gives Abraham an objective strength. Okay, so that's the first point. The objective strength, it's going to give Abraham a subjective strength, and I'll explain what I mean by that. And it's going to give Abraham a longing for God. So those are the three points. The objective strength that God's presence gives us, the subjective strength that God's presence gives us, and then the longing for God that it gives us. Okay, those are the three points. So first, the objective strength. Now, the land, okay, the two points of tension in the Abraham story, the two kind of goals of the Abraham story is that God has called Abraham up from Ur and has promised to lead him to both land, a place, land, and offspring. And we've given a lot of attention to the question of offspring, but the question of land has been there all along. And right now, Abraham doesn't have any land. He's a sojourner. Uh, And this, this passage right here, this text that we just read, focuses on the question of the land. We've been all over the offspring. Last week, two weeks ago, Isaac was born, the offspring granted. Last week, there was a threat to the heir, and it was Ishmael, and Ishmael was dismissed, expelled, sent out, and God was taking care of him too. But now, but now we shift gears to this question of the land. That's the focus. Look at verses 22 through 24. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly uh, with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Abraham said, I will swear. So Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, deal kindly with me as I have dealt kindly with you. And the the Hebrew word there is hesed. It's the word that's usually translated steadfast love. And what what it refers to, especially in this instance, is a stronger party extending kindness and grace to a weaker party. Dealing kindly. It's the king extending grace. It's a father or mother extending grace and kindness to a newborn, a stronger party, extending love towards towards a weaker party. Now, this is actually incredible. I want us to remember who Abraham is here. He is a shepherd wanderer. You know, he, he doesn't have a place. He's on the move with his little family. Abimelech is the king of a Philistine nation. Abimelech has a commander of his army named Phicol, who comes from likely Turkey. Abimelech is like a multinational kingdom, tribe. And he comes to Abraham. Do you know what he's asking for? A peace treaty. 
with little Abraham. That's surprising. That's like, that's like the Chinese government going to Malta, one of the smallest countries in the world, and saying, we want to make a peace treaty with you. Uh, you know, our, your military, we're worried about it, honestly. There's a lot of world powers out there, but we're really concerned about you, Malta. Or we want to make an economic deal with you, Malta. It's the University of Oklahoma sitting down to figure out their schedule. And they're, they're scheduling a game with, with Murray State. And the athletic director calls the athletic director of Murray State and says, we're gonna, we'd like to schedule a game, but we're kind of nervous about it. Um, would you, could you guys play like the B team during that game? Could we work out a deal like that? And then we'll schedule something with you? It doesn't make any sense at all. That Abimelech would want to establish a peace treaty with little shepherd wanderer Abraham? And he does. And you know why? Because God is with Abraham in all that he does. Abraham, whether he realizes it or not, has an objective strength. He is well positioned. His position in the world is firm and secure. So secure that a tribal leader in Abimelech is coming to ask for peace with him. It's remarkable. God is with Abraham. When I was in fifth grade, there was a little playground incident. I, we were playing basketball, and I, um, I don't even remember what happened, but some, there was some kid out there that was really mad in this basketball game. And this kid came from a rough neighborhood. We had an interesting school because we had kids from kind of a suburban setting, and then we had kids from a very urban project sort of setting. It was kind of this interesting cultural mix. And some of these kids, I mean, earlier in the year, one of the kids that came from this setting had been kicked out of school because he brought a gun to school, loaded gun, because he was worried about the bus stop. I mean, it's like, this is just a different world. And one of these kids was upset. And I was worried, what's going to happen? And, you know, and then a real brawler, real fifth grade brawler came to my aid named Eric. He was with me. He was, he was on my side, and he said in, in some way or form, you mess with him, you mess with Casey, you mess with me. He was on my side. Eric was with me. He was my representative, and that was a good thing, right? We just, we just, uh, we just moved. We just bought a home. We had a realtor helping us. What does a realtor do? Well, if they're good, they're going to um, leverage their power, their influence, their relationships, their knowledge of the whole process for you, for you, so that you, them representing you helps you get the best deal. That's what a representative does. We have uh, a president. Um, president Biden is, is our president. Um, and the decisions that President Biden makes affect us all for good or for bad. Okay, that's what leadership is, and that's what it means to be represented in some way by another. It's baked in. You grew up in homes, and, and, and you had parents. You didn't pick that situation out, and for good or bad, that has shaped you. It's, it's representativeness um, in action. And what's happening here is that the creator of the universe is with 
Abraham. And that gives him an objective strength. And for that reason, Abimelech is actually quite wise because Abimelech is making a peace treaty with a man who's loaded with power. The same power that created the universe is operating in and around and through Abraham. And so he enters into this peace treaty. That's the objective strength that God's presence brings to us who also have God with us. Okay, so that's the, that's the first point. The objective strength that God's presence, that God being with us, brings to us. And that's the first covenant. It's a, it's a peace treaty that's just happened. The second set of verses, beginning at verse 25, is a second treaty that happens. Separate. It's a treaty concerning water rights. And it'll help us see the subjective strength that God's presence brings us. Okay? So beginning at verse 25, what we're going to see here, let's, let's just read the verses and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, explain. When Abraham appro- reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servant seized, uh, and let me say something here. When it says reproved, it's Abraham is engaging in an honest, frank conversation, a confrontation with Abimelech about Abimelech's servants that have taken control of Abraham's well. They've seized it, okay? And that's a problem, right? If the city comes and says, you can't have water anymore, you've got some problems on your hand. Well, the powers that be came and said, you can't have this well anymore. And that's a problem for Abraham. And so he confronts Abimelech. And what what does Abimelech say? I don't know who's done this thing. Uh... And you didn't tell me, and I, have, I haven't even heard of it until today. This is news to me. Now, I, I personally don't know that Abimelech's being forthright here. I think that he may know what's going on. It seems like he's a pretty savvy king. He probably knows, but he's sort of plead, you know, pleading ignorance. But what Abraham does, verse 27, he takes sheep and oxen, and he gives them to Abimelech, and they make a covenant. And Abraham set, verse 28, seven ewe lambs a flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these lambs that you've set apart? And he said, Abraham said, these lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well, that this well is mine, that I have rights to the water underneath this land. And that's the covenant. Abraham, through a bold confrontation, regains his water rights that had been seized. And that's what God's presence is doing here. It's giving Abraham a, a, a confidence, a boldness to confront this king about an issue that needed confronting. Remember Abraham two or three weeks ago when he approached Abimelech? What did he do? He was fearful. He said, he came up and he said, ah, oh, here's my wife, take her, whatever makes you happy. Take her and put her in your harem. There's no fear of God in this place. But Abraham seems to be operating, following the birth of Isaac and God's faithfulness to, that, to, to those promises. And following Abimelech's you know, call or claim that Abraham, God is with him in all that he does, he's operating out of a sense of God's presence. And therefore, he's able to confront this king. He has a subjective strength. That if God is with them, 
Who cares who's against them? God's on his side. That's what God's presence does. It creates in us a confidence to move forward, to confront difficult situations. We even saw it last week when Abraham acted decisively to do what the Lord asked him to do by sending off uh, Hagar and Ishmael. And what happens as we relish in the truth that God is with us, and we get objectively, we're strong in that, but subjectively we even grow in our confidence of God's care for us and our, our confidence to kind of confront any difficult situation as a result of that. What happens is we begin to learn that God is with us, is that we get a longing for God himself, that we want to be with God, that we, want, we ourselves want to be with God. The more we have a sense of God's presence with us, the more our hearts want to be with God. And we see that in the last verse, verse 33. Abraham did what he's done all along on this journey. He's commemorated spots, worshiping the Lord at various spots along his journey. And he does it here. Look at 33, verse 33. He planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham is showing once again that he longs to be with God. He stumbled and fumbled his way through life. But ultimately, it's his desire to, to, to relate with God out of God's initiative of coming to him. The Heidelberg Catechism begins by asking that, that question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And you remember the answer? It's a long answer. You, it's, it's, it's probably... Pretty long, so you probably don't memorize the whole thing, but what's your only comfort in life and death? Here's, here's how the catechism begins to answer that question. That I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That I'm not my own, but I belong, that I'm, I'm with Christ. I'm tied to his. My life is tied to him in life and in death. Now, this, is a, this confronts our own kind of sensibility. We think that really the ultimate thing is for us to be free, to not to belong to anybody, to be autonomous, unfettered, and able to be the captain of our own ship or the king of our own little kingdom. That's the goal, right? That's not what the catechism says. The catechism says our only comfort is to belong to another, to God, our creator, to Jesus, who cares for us. We're, we're approaching Advent, the Advent season, where we um, anticipate the coming of our Lord in the incarnation at Christmas. So Advent is the lead up to the incarnation where we celebrate the arrival of Christ into the world, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, that's the, that's the resounding claim of, of the Christmas season, is that God is not distant and removed, but that he came to be a little baby in a manger. Emmanuel, God with us. But what does that mean, God with us? What does it mean to say that God is with us, that Jesus came and enfleshed himself and became one of us? Imagine that I'm skydiving, and I ask the 
instructor on the plane. I should have asked this before the plane took off. But nonetheless, we're up in the air. And I say, hey, are you, are you going to be with me? To the guide and the instructor. I've never skydived before. And the, wind, the, the door to the plane's open and the winds, you know, I can barely, it's kind of disorienting. We're not sure what's going on. We've strapped this parachute on. And I say, are you going to be with me? And the, the instructor says, yeah, I'll be with you. And then he shoves me outside the door. And then he jumps outside the door. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? And he says, well, yeah, see that little cord? And I'm what? And I can't hear the wind and the sound. And I'm confused. There's all these little things that I'm pulling on. What? No, not that, that one. That cord. Yeah, that one. This one. And it's not working. He's with me. I mean, we're like 50 feet apart, right? Flying through the air. But if I don't figure out what he's telling me from that separation, like we have a very different destiny. <laughs> this is going to end very differently for each of us if I can't figure this thing out. But what if I say, are you with me? And that instructor says, yeah. And he straps himself in to me. He straps me to him. And he wraps his arms around me. And he grabs a hold of the ripcord. He says, you ready? Let's go. And we jump out. Now that's the kind, in that moment, I want him to be with me like that. That's a very different experience. Our faith teaches us that Christ is with us. He's bound himself to us, and our destinies, our trajectories are the same. We're together. He's got his arms around us. He's strapped in, and he's got his hand on the ripcord. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, Paul points this out. He talks about how Christ was dead in the grave, and God's power raised him to life. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, and you too were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then in verse 4, he says, but God made you alive, made us alive in Christ. Just as God, the same your experiences are bound to one another. Just as Christ was dead in the grave and was raised to new life, you were dead in your sins, and you've been raised to life. But even more, look at this. He says that, that God has seated us with Christ at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. Currently, that not only are we, is our life connected with Christ that we've been raised to life, been resurrected to new life, but we've been raised up to heaven, seated with him at the right hand of the Father to rule and to reign over all the universe. We're bound to Christ. What Christ did for us is he, he strapped our sins to himself in such a way that he received the judgment and the consequences of those sins. And he strapped us into his righteousness so that we might get all of the benefits and blessings that come from being God's child, his perfect, obedient child. That Christ was plunged into the God-forsaken darkness so that we might get plunged into his marvelous light and experience all the blessings of God so that we could get God, so that God could be with us. And he is with us, just like Abraham. And here's what that means. We've already seen how this plays out. We saw Christ 
experience awful sin, awful injustice. And we saw God raise him from the dead, seat him at the right hand of the Father. That's our destiny. Suffering, it's going to be overcome. Doubts, they're going to be overcome. God is moving our life. on the, We're strapped in. We're like the tandem parachuters. We've got the same destiny. That's what Paul is saying. Christ is taking forth. He's with us. And so every second of your life, no matter how difficult, how much suffering, how much pain, God is optimizing every second of your life for your perfection and his greater glory. That's what he's doing. Every second of your life. God works all things for his good, for the good of his people. That's the promise. That kind of truth reminds us we're objectively strong. Whether we realize it or not, we are secure. We, set, we sang it. I underlined it as we were singing it. You know, with all the difficult, I, I perish every fond ambition. This is Jesus I, my cross, have taken. Yet, yet how rich is my condition? God and heaven are still my own. That's an objective, that's the position you want to be in. And that is, objectively, your position. But it also creates a subjective strength. That as we apply that, we grow in confidence of God's love for us. And we, we have the strength and confidence to face all sorts of things with the Spirit working in us. That is what it means to be, for God to be with you in everything you do. And what Abimelech said of Abraham is only more true of us now. Because we see how it all unfolds. The New Testament unfolds, unpacks it all. God's Spirit is with us. That's good news for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth that you are with us. And at times, it is, uh, it's just hard to believe. But you have so glued yourself to us by your Spirit that our, our destinies are bound, that your uh, end of, of, of glory and kingship and rule is our end. We are your body. You are the head. And we somehow, somehow complete you in that. And in the meantime, you're with us. You promise to be with us. We pray that you would renew our spirits, that you would form us in the goodness of that truth so that we might be more um, confident and bold to navigate uh, challenging waters, knowing that you are indeed with us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.